I recognize that in a lot of my sermons, I have a tendency to talk about maybe my favorite movies or my favorite TV shows. And I think because as someone who grew up in the 70s and and 80s, that television and movies played a huge influence and a huge role in my life. And so I mentioned movies. I mentioned television shows a lot. And I have a tendency to say, this is my favorite, or that one is my favorite. And I wanted to clarify how I define a favorite movie. To me, when I say favorite movie, it's a movie that I can quote from heart all the way through the movie. It's a movie that I've seen so many times that I know the lines to the movie. I can quote it before it happens, and uh, I like to quote it all the time. My wife tells me that's a man thing, but I just love to remember movies and quote movies. And so if quoting movies makes a movie my favorite movie, then probably the movie that I can quote the most and that I would say is my favorite movie is a movie that came out in 1987 called The Princess Bride. Now, I don't know if you have seen The Princess Bride or if you have been uh, mistreated or underprivileged and were not able to see it sometime in your life, Uh, but it it was always one of my favorite movies. It was required viewing in my home for my kids when they were little. When I was a youth minister and we had a bus trip that was going to take us more than two and a half or three hours, we brought The Princess Bride. And we watched it, sometimes we watched it three times going somewhere and three times coming back so that not only could I quote it, but all of my students could quote it. The Princess Bride had a huge influence. Matter of fact, it was such a uh, favorite movie of mine that when my brother got married and he asked me to do the ceremony, I surprised all of them by quoting from the marriage scene in The Princess Bride at the start uh, of the wedding. I started the wedding by saying, marriage. And if you haven't seen the movie, you don't know, marriage is what brings us together today. Love, true love. And so you'll have to see the movie if you haven't seen it. Uh, Much to my sister-in-law's angst, and I think her mother was not too happy, but it was important to me. And so, and important to my brother, because it was one of those kind of movies. And if you haven't seen it, let me just give you a quick synopsis, um, if I can, without giving you any spoilers, because I know you want to go home and rent it. But The Princess Bride is, is a comedy fantasy love story. Now, to be a comedy fantasy love story, you say, well, how do those three factors mix? Well, you'll have to see the movie to understand. It is a movie about true love, and true love is the most noblest of all characteristics, according to a character in the movie. It's about a guy by the name of uh, Buttercup is his bride, and Wesley is the man, and it's Wesley trying to reunite with Buttercup. He's trying to save Buttercup, and Wesley, throughout the movie, is trying to go to his true love and bring her back to him. And in the process of doing that, if you haven't seen the movie, he has to go through several obstacles. He climbs the cliffs of insanity. He has to fight a great swordsman who was in search of the five-finger man who killed his father. He had to best Andre the Giant, who really truly was a giant. He had to match wits with a Sicilian. Um, beating him, finding himself then in the fire swamp. And the fire swamp was known for its R-O-U-S's, which is rodents of unusual size. And uh, he had to fight the rodents of unusual size. And going through all of that, he eventually is captured. And when he is captured, he is placed in what is called the pit of despair. And everyone knows in the pit of despair, there is no escape. 
And as I was working through this message, as I was studying and praying and planning this, I, I couldn't get the image of, of that character in that movie in this pit of despair. And the character looks over to him and says, you understand there is no escape from this. Because as I thought about that, I thought how many times in my own life I have found myself in what could only be called the pit of despair. And if not despair, then great discouragement. Times in my life when things weren't going the way I had hoped or things didn't turn out the way I had planned or, or the way I had envisioned or the way that I had dreamed and, and I began to get discouraged. And the more discouraged I got, I found myself falling into what could be despair. Despair is defined as a place where there is no hope. Discouragement is facing despair in, because of obstacles over a long period of time. And so discouragement and despair feed each other. One of the great things I love about the Bible is the Bible is not filled with stale characters or filled with superhuman Christians or believers in God. It's filled with real people. People just like you and I. People who struggled. People who faced disappointment. Who faced defeat. People who had circumstances and situations that arose that they didn't know how to handle. And one of those circumstances and situations is found in our story of Nehemiah. We've been looking at Nehemiah, and I wanted to go back to look at it again this morning because I believe, as I said earlier, that some of you are struggling with discouragement. Some of you this morning, you're facing a mountain or facing a wall or facing some difficulty, and you've allowed those barriers, those obstacles to cause you to get discouraged. And those of you that have been discouraged know that over time, if you don't deal with it, it grows worse and worse and worse until you find yourself in what could only be called a pit of despair. And the thing about discouragement is it's contagious. When we get discouraged, it doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. It affects our spouse and our kids and our co-workers, and our friends, and our neighbors. And if we're not careful on that path of discouragement, we can find ourselves in trouble. So if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 4, because we're going to look at how the, the Nehemiah has been fulfilling this vision of seeing the walls rebuilt in Jerusalem, and everything is going great, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of the story, there is a point where discouragement could take over and sidetrack them. And if you are going to be obedient to God in anything He's called you to be, just like last week we talked about opposition, you will face discouragement in your life. You're going to face setbacks. It's part of our human nature. But what I want you to see from the book of Nehemiah is not only what led them to finding themselves in this pit of despair, but how Nehemiah kept it from getting worse and stopped it in its tracks. Because the good news for some of you this morning is as you find yourself in maybe some of these same circumstances, there is hope for you to be able to stop it and turn it around. And so in Nehemiah chapter 4, we've already looked at the earliest part of Nehemiah chapter 4. We've looked at where Nehemiah has been facing opposition. The guy called the Three Stooges began to mock them. They began to ridicule them. And I think the first part of Nehemiah 4 is they are being ridiculed for building this wall, even though they are doing an incredible job. You've got this group of 45 people, groups of people, that are building this incredible wall. They have already got it up to seven and a half feet and just 52 two days, this group of people that's watching them and mocking them and making fun of them, over time it has an effect on them. 
And I think over time it is listening to this group and all of the other things that build up to a place where they get discouraged to the point that it has a a possibility of stopping what God was trying to do in the walls of Jerusalem. And it's the same for you and I. That as things build up and as things get worse and we allow these things to pile up and we get discouraged, it distracts us from doing what God's called us to do. And more importantly, it robs us of our joy. There's nothing worse than joyless Christians. Nothing worse than Christians who can't experience an overwhelming joy that comes from knowing whose you are and what He's done in your life. And many churches you go to this morning across our country and across our nation, you'll find people sitting in the pews singing songs like Victory in Jesus with a frown upon their face. Sing songs like love lifted me, but in reality they're not experiencing joy because they've allowed themselves to fall into this pit of despair. And so I want to read to you from Nehemiah chapter 3, and I've given you part of it, which is part of the Message Bible in your order of service. If you have that, you can see the Message Bible and and this modern translation and how it reads according to the New, New International that I'm going to read in verse 10. It says, meanwhile, meanwhile, the people are being mocked, they're being made fun of. The story goes up to that. The people of Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. And they will kill us and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told them ten times over, whenever it's your turn, they will attack us. Now, I love what the Message Bible says because it says it in our language. It says it in ways that we can understand it. And I think as you hear it in the Message Bible, you will see at least four factors that lead to discouragement. Four things that that they mentioned in these two verses that can be factors that get us to this place of despair. Listen to how he says it in the Message Bible. But soon word was going around Judah that the builders are pooped and the rubbish piles up. We're in over our heads, they said. We can't build this wall. And all this time, our enemies are saying they won't know what hit them. Before they know it, they're going to be at their throats, killing them right and left. And that'll put a stop to the work. And the Jews, who were their neighbors, kept reporting, they've surrounded us, they're going to attack. He says, if we've heard it once, we've heard it ten times. Now, there are a couple of things that just jump out that I think are realistic to how you and I come across discouragement, no matter where you are, these factors will all build on one another to get you not just discouraged, but to get you to a place of despair. And the first one, it jumps out when he says they're pooped. They're tired. Probably the greatest factor to getting us discouraged is fatigue. And all of these will start with F, so if you'd like to take notes, you can write those real easily. But fatigue... You and I, when we are tired physically and emotionally and spiritually, we open ourselves up to discouragement. We open ourselves up emotionally to being attacked. When your body is tired, all kinds of attacks come against you. And so many of us today are so tired. We are tired physically from all of our work and children and extracurricular activities and all the things that we put on our plate. And once you begin to get tired physically, it's not real far to get tired mentally. And once you get tired mentally, emotionally follows real quickly behind. And then spiritual exhaustion sets in. 
And some of you this morning, you can look at your own lives and you can see that you're not getting enough rest. They've been working for 52 straight days. 52 days on a task and and eventually that tiredness of their bodies takes over. Isn't it amazing how much better we feel just when we get a little rest? If you're struggling with discouragement, I would tell you that the first place you need to look this morning is at your rest, at your fatigue. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to get some sleep. Rest. It's not an accident that God, when He set out the Ten Commandments, made one dealing with the Sabbath. And we've talked about it before that the Sabbath was not so much about coming to church and and not doing anything else. The Sabbath simply means rest. God created us and He knew that you and I need rest. And some of you are so scattered and so going and you don't understand how it is affecting you emotionally until you begin to stop. Fatigue builds in. We push ourselves. And then usually right at the point where God's going to do something, right at the point where something is about to break out, we get emotionally or physically exhausted and we never see it become a reality. Fatigue. The second thing he said in verse 10, he said, they're talking about all the rubbish that had piled up. Look at all these piles of rocks. If fatigue is a factor in discouragement, the second thing is focus. Just six verses before, they were saying, we can't wait to build this wall. Look what God's going to do. And now instead of looking at all that they had accomplished in 52 days, a mile and a half around the city of Jerusalem, instead of looking and saying, this is unbelievable, for 170 years, this wall sat undone, nothing but rubble. And in 52 days, less than two months, we've been able to build it seven and a half feet. But instead of focusing on all that they had done, what were they looking at? Look at all this rubble laying around that we still hadn't got to. You see, when you begin to get tired, you start losing your focus. And instead of focusing on all that God is doing, we focus on all that He hasn't done. Instead of focusing on all that we are accomplishing and all the things that we are getting done, we begin to focus on all the things we have left to do. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Looking at your to-do list and your to-do list just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And instead of seeing all that you've accomplished, instead of seeing how far that you've gotten, all you can see is how much you have left. When you begin to climb, when you begin to focus on God, you begin to go and it's like somebody climbing a mountain. You get halfway up and instead of looking and seeing how far you've come, all you can see is how far you have left to go. And you begin to tell yourself that you can't do it. You begin to all of a sudden get discouraged. You all of a sudden begin to say that you just can't finish. You're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to get to the end. So what's the use trying? Some of you have ever said that. We'll never get this finished, so why not just give up now? We'll, we'll never see this become a reality, so let's just give up. Why are we wasting our time? Instead of seeing all that God has done to get you to where you are, all you can think about is all you have left to get you where you're going. Focus. When we begin to lose our focus and start looking at all of our problems instead of the one who solves our problems, we can fall into a pit of despair you can begin to get discouraged. You see, rubble really represents anything that keeps you from accomplishing your goal. Anything that distracts you. It can be good things. It can be things that were important, but it's things that aren't part of the wall. Who cares about the rubble? 
But all of a sudden, these guys and, and men and women that were building this wall, this rubble had been there for 170 years. They just walked over it. And now they begin to see the rubble more than they saw the wall. God wants you to focus on Him, not what you have left. They began to get discouraged. They had fatigue. They, they lost focus. And the third thing that always follows, it, it, it's like a pattern. You're tired emotionally, and once you're tired emotionally and spiritually, all of a sudden you begin to see problems instead of solutions. All of a sudden you begin to see difficulties in, instead of a way that God is creating. And then the next thing comes, this feeling of failure. Fatigue, focus, failure. What'd they say? We can't build this wall. It's not going to get done. All of a sudden, this negativity begins to creep in, and you begin to lose heart, and you begin to lose your confidence. That excitement wears off. You remember how you get excited when you start, and you're ready to go, and, and then after a while, you start getting tired, and before long, not only are you tired, it's kind of like when you run or you exercise, and your body starts telling you to stop. You have to push yourself beyond it. You begin to get a focus problem where you're not focusing on where you're going. And then all of a sudden you start telling yourself, you can't do it. You won't do it. You'll never get it done. I'm not talking about outside opposition. I'm talking about that inner voice. Begins to tell you that it's easier to quit than it is to keep going. It's easier to give up. It's been said that probably the greatest hindrance in the church is pessimism today. It's this idea that we can't, we can't. How in the world can the church say we can't when the Bible says I can do all things through Christ? That all things are possible through God. But yet somehow you buy into the lie. And I understand because you're tired. You don't have much left to hang on to. And you've lost your focus. And as you've lost your focus, all of a sudden you begin to feel like a failure. You begin to hear these voices telling you that it's not worth it and quit. And, and it doesn't matter. And nobody's ever going to see. And it's never going to make a difference. So just quit. Fatigue. Focus. Failure. And then the fourth one is fear. They begin to get scared. The same guys who had been taunting them since they started for 52 days, all of a sudden when you're tired and you've lost your focus, fear can begin to creep in. You know why? Because fear is the opposite of faith. And when you lose your focus, you lose your faith. Because it's Jesus, our focus, that gives us the faith to keep going. It's kind of like Peter when he got out of the boat. Some of us are just like that. God says, this is what I want you to do. This is a dream I'm planning in your heart. This is what I want the church to do. This is where I want you to go. And, and you don't see the water. All you see is Jesus telling you to do it. Get out of the boat and come on. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he's running to Jesus. And all of a sudden he begins to look around and see the water. And he focused on the water instead of focusing on Jesus. And fear began to take over and he began to sink. All of a sudden all that criticism begins to pile up, and you begin to get scared. What will people think? What if I lose my job? What if I lose this friendship? What if I, I lose this? All worst-case scenarios. That's part of our human nature. Do you, do you imagine, just think about it in your own life, how much time, effort, and energy you spend creating scenarios in your head of the worst thing that can happen that has never happened. 
Think about how much time you've wasted in your life where you've allowed fear of something that could happen, that might happen, to keep you from doing what should happen. That is a path to discouragement. We begin to get scared. We're tired. We've lost our focus. All of a sudden, what other people are saying is more important than what God says to us. Some of you this morning, that's exactly where you are. Some of you this morning, you're at a place where God is about to do something so incredible in your life. A door of opportunity is about to open. God is about to let your vision begin to become a reality. But before you've stepped out on faith, some of you are are running out of energy. Some of you are running out of strength. Some of you are telling yourself that, that you can't do it. You've lost your focus. Some of you this morning are allowing fear to, to overtake you and you've gotten discouraged. And so somewhere along that path, you've retreated. Maybe it was weeks ago or maybe it was yesterday or maybe it was months ago, but you just quit. You just said it's easier to quit than to keep going. It's easier to quit than to fight for this marriage, for my children, for my job, for my vision, for my future. And in that place, all of a sudden, discouragement begins to well up. And you hear a voice telling you it's not worth it. Please listen. There is a voice on the other side telling you it is. That vision that God planted in your heart is ready to bubble forth and become a reality. It's worth it to fight. It's worth it to stand. It's worth it to keep going, even when you feel like you can't. You see, some of you this morning, you feel exactly like the psalmist. I like reading that Psalms when I want to feel sorry for myself. Psalms 40. We get in these little pity parties because that's where discouragement leads, isn't it? Pity parties. Poor me. No one else knows what I'm going through. No one else is experiencing what I've experienced. And we start feeling sorry for ourselves. And all of a sudden we feel like we're just in a pit of despair. And you know the scary thing about it, church? Some of you are in a pit of despair and you don't even realize it. Because you've been there so long that you've made it a home. You've allowed discouragement to stop you for so long. You've allowed other people's influence and fear of what people might think and and fatigue to set in for so long that you've lost your focus and you don't even realize that you're in the pit. You just wonder why good things aren't happening. You just wonder why you're not seeing God do incredible things in your life. You wonder why you're not seeing your dream and your vision become a reality. It's because you've decided to make camp in that pit of despair. And this morning, like he said to the psalmist, I will lift you up. You see, Nehemiah, he quickly nipped it in the bud. He didn't allow it to become despair. In that moment when they began to cry out, we're tired and we need help and we're scared and we've lost focus. Look at all this stuff. Nehemiah does four things that I think can help each one of you this morning get out of that pit. Four things that allows you, that counteracts each of those points of discouragement. Listen to what he does. The very first thing in verse 13, he says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at all of the exposed places, and I posted them with their families. First thing he did is he said, we're going to take a break. We're going to stop. We're going to rest. We're going to to recharge. 
because he knew he'd worked them 52 days. He said they are tired. And when you begin to get tired physically, all of a sudden it becomes emotional and spiritual. He said, you need a break. Some of you this morning, you need a break. Instead of saying, everybody go everywhere else, he said, we're all going to come together and we are going to come together and rest. Some of you this morning, you need rest. You need emotional rest. You need physical rest. Rest doesn't mean quitting. Rest doesn't mean giving up. Rest doesn't mean that you back away from what you were supposed to do and all of a sudden find something else. Because, see, that's what we think rest is, right? We don't rest, we replace. Amen? We say, oh, I'm, this is killing me and this is wearing me out and I'm so tired and so I'm going to back up and take a rest from it. And then we go back to our list and we add four more things to our plate. That's not what rest is. Rest is saying that I'm going to back away and emotionally and spiritually and physically recharge so that I can go back to do the task that God's led me and called me to do in the first place. So that I'll be better ready to attack. Some of you today, the very first thing you need to do is you need to set aside some rest. Some of you, it's not physical rest you need. You need emotional rest. You need spiritual rest. You need mental rest. You need a time and a place to say, Pastor, I, you just don't understand. I, I, don't, I don't have time. Make time. I told you before, and, and this is so true of all of our lives, we find time for the things that we deem are important. And if you begin to deem rest as important, you'll find time for it. You'll make time. Turn the computer off. Turn the television off. Turn the music off. Turn the phone off. Go sit somewhere and just rest recharge we live in probably one of the most beautiful areas of the whole country there are over 300 trails that are within 10 miles of this church you can get in your car in 30 minutes time go somewhere walk a few miles feet whatever you need to be and just sit on a rock and unplug rest nehemiah said we're going to rest we're going to rest and we're going to rally The second thing he did there in verse 13, listen to what he says there. Don't be afraid of these people. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fights for your brothers. Not only did he say rest, he allowed them to remember. You could also say refocus. He allowed them to say, listen, you've forgotten why you're fighting. You've forgotten, because when you're discouraged, all you're focused on is the what? What do I need to do next? What do I need to do next? I can't do it. I can't do it. But when you're allowing God to keep you on track, what's important is the why. I've shared with you before the greatest problem that happens in churches and happens in our own lives is when we get so focused on the how that we lose sight of the why. Because we start arguing about the how. I want to do it this way, and you want to do it that way. And that loses sight of why. When you keep focused on why you're doing it, because it's what He wants for me, it's what He's called me to do, it's His vision and His dream, you don't worry about the how. God has never had a problem with the how. Some of you this morning are saying, Pastor, there is no way that I can get from here to here. Focus on the who and the why. He'll take care of the how. 
I promise you, I can't tell you how many times in my life I've stood at, at closed doors, mountains, flowing rivers, where I said, God, there's no way I can get across, but I'm going to praise you in the interim. And it's in the midst of that time, as I focused on who was in charge and why I was doing what I was doing, that he created a way where there seemed to be no way. See, some of you this morning, you need to refocus. Stop looking at your problems and look at the one who can solve them. We sing the songs, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's more than just a song. When you focus on Jesus and you keep your eyes on him, you can't help but see how small your problems really are. How small the things that you have in your life really are. Stop looking around and spend some time looking up. He said we need to refocus, we need to rest. And the third thing is he said they need to resist. In verse 14 he said here's what we're going to do. We're going to plant guards to begin to prepare for the battle that we're in. I shared with you last week that whether you want to be or not, you're in a spiritual battle. Anytime you make a stand for what God is calling you to do, you will have to fight for it. You want a godly family? you got to fight for it. You want godly kids, godly grandkids? You've got to fight for it. It doesn't just happen. Everything in the Bible that God ever promised to anybody, they had to fight for it. God just didn't say, look, here's the promised land. Take it. What did he say? It's over there. You've got to go get it. They had to fight for it. said, David, you're going to be the king someday, but I'm just not going to put a crown on your head. You've got to go fight for it. He said, Nehemiah, I want the wall to get built. And do you not think that God could have snapped his hands and they could have had the promised land or David could have had his kingdom or this walk he could have done it in an instant why didn't he do it because he wanted to see his people give him glory by being obedient to what he called to do something bigger than they could have ever done on their own and if when God calls you to do something he expects you to go and do it that means you got to be willing to fight and, and we don't fight people. We learned last week as we talked about opposition. Our battle is not with people. It is with principalities in the air. It is a spiritual battle. Our battle is with a worldview that says that life doesn't matter. A worldview that says that you and I are inconsequential, that we are just dust and we have no future and no beginning and that whatever you want to do to suit you, to please you, that's what you need to do. You are in a battle against those things. Commit to stand. Stop listening to all of the people that are tearing it down. Surround yourself with people that support you and encourage you and bless you. Stop listening to all the barriers and get with the builders. Stop listening to those that, that are pessimists and those who are saying it can't be done. Don't give it an ear. You understand you spend all your time around negative people, you're going to become negative. You can't help it. You spend all your time reading and listening to things that are negative, that's who you will become. And I'm not telling you just to stay around and listen. Get away from them. Don't let them have an influence on you. That's why I've told some of you, turn the TV off. 
All we hear are bad things and negative things and hateful things. And, and I watch Christians that come angry and, and upset and mad and sad because of something they watched on television or something they read on the Internet. If the television and the news reports and the Internet has that much influence on your life, turn it off. You'll be shocked how less angry you are and how less worried you are. Fight. Nehemiah decided they were going to have half the people working, half the people defending. I love this idea. He said, okay, you're going to have a brick in one hand and a sword in the other. Because that's the way the Christian life is. Some of us like to think, well, pastor, I'm just a builder. I'm not a fighter. There's no such thing. You've got other people that, you know, that all they want to do is fight. I'm ready to fight. I, spiritual warfare. That's what I'm all. No, you're not. We're called to do both. To fight and to build, to build and to fight. To build until it's time to fight, then fight until it's time to go back to building. Nehemiah said, you've got to resist. And then the last thing he called him to do, he said, you need to rest, you need to remember, you need to resist. And then listen to verse 19. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, you join that group of people, and our God will fight for us. And so what did he say? He said, listen, we're spread out. So what I want you to do is I'm giving every group of people a trumpet, and whenever they feel like they can't go on, whenever they feel scared, you blow the trumpet, and everybody else is going to come to you. He said, we're going to rest. We're going to rally and remember. We're going to resist. And the last thing, we're going to reinforce each other. We're going to be there for one another. One of the greatest helps for you to get out of the pit of despair is to look around and see that you have other Christians, brothers, and sisters that are willing to give you a hand and lift you up. That's what community is about. That's what church is about. That's why I tell you, get plugged in. Build relationships with other believers because there's going to come a time where you're going to find yourself in a pit and the voices that are negative are going to drown out everything else and you're, you know the truth, but it keeps just hammering you. And you're going to be angry and you're going to be tired and sometimes the only help is for you to blow that trumpet and those people that love you and care about you that are part of the body of Christ are going to be able to come and lift you up and help you. That's what community is all about. Some of you this morning, you're fighting discouragement because you're on an island. You're all by yourself. You think that God called... That's why I, I share with people, they say, why should I go to church? Because God never called you to live the Christian life on your own. Do you understand the church is God's gift to Christians? The reason He gave us this body to be able to gather together is because He knew there were going to be times when you think you can do it on your own and you think you can fight all the enemies of the world on your own and you think you can keep doing what God's called you to do. You can't. And there's going to come a time where you are going to be overwhelmed and you're going to need help. And that is what the body of Christ is for. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to fight on your own. Stop trying to keep focusing on your own. Depend on those who God called to come around you and beside you and with you to help lift you up. That's why part of our statement of belief is that this is a place to belong where you can find community. No matter what your background, no matter what your history or denomination, 
no matter where you've come from or where you're going, if you are a fellow Christ follower, that you can find a place here to belong, to know that you are never alone. Even if you were in a hospital bed in India with heart problems and the doctor saying they don't know that you're going to make it, you're not alone. Because there is a body of Christ that is pouring themselves out on your behalf. Nehemiah said, don't be scared anymore because all you've got to do is blow a horn and we are going to come and we'll be there. I mean, in all reality, all of us are going to get discouraged. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1. Timothy's ready to quit. He's pastor in Ephesus. He says, I'm going to give up. Go read what Paul says to him in 2 Timothy 1. It's exactly the same thing that Nehemiah does. He said, Timothy, you need to rest and you need to remember why you're doing what you're called to do. You need to refocus and then you need to lean on those who you've brought in you in the church. All of us get discouraged. Some of you this morning, you are in the midst of discouragement. You came here this morning, you were ready to quit. You were ready to give up. You were ready to walk away. You were ready to say, no more, it's not worth it. I want to tell you this morning, there is hope. Some of you feel like you're in the pit of despair. The first step for you this morning is to identify what it is that got you there. And then once you identify what it is that got you there, do something about it so it doesn't happen again. Some of you are struggling. Some of you are wanting to give up. Nehemiah is speaking to you this morning. This message is for you this morning. Because what I found in my own life is that always, 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 after some of the greatest points of discouragement have become some of the greatest victories in my life. But I had to press on. And I can't tell you, I can't guess how many victories, how many blessings I missed out on because I stayed in the pit too long. I wallowed in my discouragement when God was calling me to step up. So what about the princess bride? I didn't forget about it. (laughs) Wesley's in the pit of despair. If you go back and watch the movie, you'll see that Wesley gets out of the pit of despair the same way that Nehemiah just encouraged us. He rested. He refocused. He remembered what he was called to do. And then he got his friends surrounding him to go and do it. It's not an accident. And while Wesley had Andre the Giant and Billy Crystal and all of these others that were rescuing him this morning, you and I have somebody that's much greater, much more powerful. Matter of fact, it says this, For I waited patiently for the Lord, and He turned to me and He heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair and out of the mud and out of the mire and he set my feet on a rock. He gave me a firm place to stand. But not only did he do that, he put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God. And many, because of that, listen to this promise, I'm done. Because God says, I will lift you out of that pit I will lift you out of the discouragement. I will put a song in your heart, a new song, 
And because the new song that you'll be singing, listen to the promise, many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. See, church, I wonder how many people are looking at us this morning who are in that pit and they don't know how to get out, who are struggling with discouragement, who have given up, who have quit, and they're looking for a song and they're looking for a testimony and they're looking for a solid surface and they're looking at you. Let's pray.